1: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. And I'm PJ Doran. And this week, our guest is Josh Hayes. But first, Pit Pass Moto is sponsored by Moto America. Moto America, the home of AMA Superbike Championship Racing, featuring 190 mile per hour superbikes and is the official sponsor
0: of Pit Pass. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, A great way to watch Moto America, if you're unable to get out to the
2: track, is Moto America Live. They show all day broadcasting of all events at the track. It's amazing. There are so many ways that Moto America gives you to watch racing on NBCSN, MAV TV, FS2. Find out all the places that you can watch live race action at MotoAmerica.com.
1: Absolutely love the website. It's constantly updated with new content, interviews, technical talk, race results it's a wonderful website check it out check them
2: out anytime you can get out to the track if at all possible there's a lot of upcoming races again you can find out about all their upcoming events at motoamerica.com
1: okay racing from this last weekend we had the first inaugural loretta Lynn's national it was great to see motocross finally happen again and uh It was Husqvarnaz with first and second. Zach Osborne takes first overall. He holds the number one red plate, followed by Jason Anderson, who finished second. And our defending champ, Eli Tomac, with third overall. He had kind of a day where he struggled. He finished 7-2. He looked strong at times, but I'll tell you, they had a brutal track that was just wet and rutted the entire time. But uh, to see those guys out there finally racing again, it was exciting. Osborne's a story, though. I mean, he won the last Supercross of the season, and then he goes out and wins the first outdoor national. So he's he's an upcoming force to look out for. I don't think a lot of people really had picked Osborne as the guy, but, uh, man, does he look solid. So we got some battling going on. We got some new blood in the 450 class with guys like Chase Sexton coming up from the 250 class. Chase looks solid. He got 13-3 on the day for eighth overall. Nothing to sneeze at for any rider really in that class to finish top 10 is stellar. And for him to come out, you know, his first race of the year and do that well, he actually uh, won qualifying, was first uh, fastest time of the day. So look for Chase later on in the season. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll see some more from him. And then in the 250 class, man, it was all Dylan Ferrandis with a 1-1 for first overall. He just was untouchable. He pulled whole shots and disappeared and They got people already talking about an undefeated season. It's only been one round. So it's interesting, but uh, Frenchie can ride, no doubt about it. And then RJ Hampshire finished up second on his Husqvarna with a 3-2 score, followed by J-Mart on his uh, Geico Honda for two and three for third overall. So good to see Martin up on the front. He's a guy that's been hurt, and for him to come back and do that well, I was really pleased to see that. So those are your standings and your finishing uh, overall. They're going to be back this following weekend to race at Loretta Lens again at the ranch. So because of COVID, the next round that was planned at Washugo, Washington has been canceled. So that are just going to keep everybody in town and race at the same venue. And uh, just economy of scale again, keep everybody in one spot. So I'm excited to see that. Maybe we'll have a, uh, a dry track for a change and it won't be as rutted. We'll have to wait and see. Also have results from the MXGP the third round in Keigham's Latvia. Jeffrey Hurlings wins the overall with a 4-1 for first. He is the red plate holder with 213 points over Tim Geiser with 167 points. Now your your top three in the class was Hurlings followed by Jassikonis on his Husqvarna and Jorge Prado with a 3-4 on his KTM for third overall. In MX2, Iago Geertz on his factory Yamaha finished 2-1 for first overall followed by Tom Vial on his KTM for second and Rune Van de on his Kawasaki finished third overall with a four three. So really exciting racing in MXGP. It's been a stellar season. It's good to see these guys out on, on bikes again and tearing up the dirt. Yeah, it is good to see that kind of racing. also
2: good to see more MotoGP. We had the Austrian GP from the Red Bull ring this past weekend filled with drama. One of the more, Dramatic crashes that one might see at any point played out on about lap nine of the MotoGP event. There had previously been a pretty significant incident in Moto2 as well. So it was a weekend of unfortunate crashes. In the case of the MotoGP crash on lap nine between Franco Morbidelli and Johan Zarco, they came together at an incredible speed both losing control of their bikes dismounting and their bikes running away at a high rate of speed into the very 90 degree turn four one bike went through teammates Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales barely missing both of them some will say God loves Rossi more and it was showing this day the other bike went over Vinales head but both bikes could have easily taken out both racers. It was a very serious event. Nonetheless, no one was injured, significantly injured, I should say. Everyone gets to walk away from the incident, so that is uh, definitely uh, of great comfort to everyone involved. But after that, it was it was a great race before that, and it was a great race after that. Ultimately, Andrea Davizioso recently. Announcing that he was no longer going to be with Ducati in the upcoming season of 2021. He went ahead and took the win anyway, followed by Johan Mir on the Suzuki and Jack Miller on his Ducati. So it was a 1-3 podium for Ducati with Suzuki filling in in second place. Beautiful race, beautiful track, much like uh, MXGP, Dave. They are going to keep the MotoGP Circus there in Austria, and they are going to play another round this coming weekend to fill in for some of the uh, events that have been canceled or uh, postponed indefinitely, if you will. They're going to make sure they get enough races to call it a good season. And it was incredible. I know you saw the event as it played out. It was just terrifying, quite honestly, the speed with which those bikes were coming in. It it had disaster written all over it, and it seemed to happen in slow motion.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, MotoGP is just full of drama this year, like you said. in. And- With all of these top riders, you would say, injured, now you've got a next-level group coming up. And last week with Brad Binder winning his first MXGP overall and actually first one for KTM, now you've got this other next-level group of riders coming through and making all sorts of noise in that class.
2: There were some guys that didn't play in this. Obviously, we still have the absence of Mark Marquez. He's still on the mend. There's some top-level guys that are, to your point, not in the race right now. Nonetheless, Dovizioso has been there with all of these guys all along. He's a, he's a valid winner, and I look forward to seeing what happens this weekend. Rossi and Vinales both looked close, and I think staying at the same track tends to help veterans like Rossi because they can find some setup stuff just through their experience that will probably move him forward somewhat.
1: Yeah, you would think so. I would agree. And here's the thing. I mean, is Ducati maybe having second thoughts? with Dovizioso, because here's a guy who comes out and wins a a, a MotoGP for him, and and he's getting his papers next year. So what's what's the story there? Dovizioso has done very well for Ducati, if
2: you ask me. Beyond Casey Stoner, I would say he's arguably their very most successful racer. So I found it interesting he was leaving. He knows his value, and I'm guessing they weren't quite up to what he believes his value to be so next year will be interesting and i look forward to seeing how the rest of this year plays out support for pit pass comes from lord jones makers of the world's finest cbd products CBD is all the rage these days, but pioneering brand Lord Jones is considered the gold standard. For years, they've been changing people's lives with their premium CBD products. From world-class skincare to tinctures and gel capsules to decadent gumdrop confections, if you're curious about what CBD can do for you, trust me, you want to start with the best. Lord Jones is crafted with the highest quality ingredients and premium hemp-derived CBD that's lab-tested for purity, strength, and consistency. In fact, Lord Jones has been featured in the New York Times, People, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and more. And now they're inviting you to experience the finest CBD products available. Go to LordJones.com/pitpass to get 25% off your first order. Go to LordJones.com/pitpass for 25% off your first order lordjones.com slash pitpass Pitpass Moto is brought to you by Manscaped the best in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels they obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience and i can attest their lawnmower 3.0 is amazing the headlight has been fantastic i haven't gotten lost once in the process
1: you will enjoy it what do you think dave I think the water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower, take care of all the hair everywhere, guys. Cultivate what grows wild on your body. It's been an eye-opener, if you will, and I just recommend that you trim that junk of yours. Absolutely. Your partner will thank you. And here's an important point. They are partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society. So, boys, you should be checking your boys at least (laughs) once a month. Your balls will
2: thank you. And... Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PIPPASS at manscaped.com. That's 20%, not a small amount, 20% off and free shipping with the code PIPPASS at manscaped.com. This week's PIPPASS trivia question is, in 1902, what company in England began producing motorbikes? We'll be back with that answer later, and now we'll be talking to you. AMA pro racer, Josh Hayes. All right, welcome back to Pit Pass 1. Josh Hayes, fabulous, former AMA superstar racer, Moto America racer, and now, well, we're going to talk to him about
3: what now is. Still racing, obviously, aren't you, Josh? You know, I did a little racing at the beginning of the year. And, uh, yeah, my season was supposed to end in, in March. It got cut a little, a little short. We were at Daytona qualifying whenever they canceled that event. So maybe come October, I'll get to race one more time. And that is in the
2: cards. You're keeping the, the entry, if you will, and plans remain as they
3: were for that event. Yeah. I mean, like they just said, they were moving into October. So if all the stars line up, right. And I, I think bike week, I guess, is in, in trouble, the bike Toberfest thing, but, if uh, CCS decides to run the event, we're hoping to be able to participate. It uh, falls right between two Moto America events, so we'll have to go straight from Indy to Daytona and then straight to Laguna from there. So, with all this uh, pandemic stuff, it it ended up compressing the schedule here for the second half of the summer. And man, it's been absolute chaos, if I'm being honest.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you are finding that to be the case. The doubleheader event at Road America seemed to go very well. What's your opinions on the other the other Moto America events
3: thus far? I think they've done a good job being able to put on events. One one thing that worked in Moto America's favor huge was being like one of the first motorsports events in the world. So you found that everybody was chomping at the bit to get some racing on the tube. So we ended up being you know live on Fox Sports One eurosport picked it up like people all over the world wanted to see some racing and we were the first ones. so everybody was excited to see what the guys came up with and they put on a pretty decent event so all in all i think things are going pretty well the championship has been exciting in its own ways bobie of course is putting on kind of a a new show i'm glad to see a new side of of cameron where he's not leaving much to those guys he's i think trying to just prove that he that he's uh, just a step and a level above right now because I think he wants to have some more options for racing in the world in the future. And so he's got to show somebody some things a little different. I mean, he's a four-time champion and everybody knows he's good. But there's been a lot, a big question, I think, sometimes about how good he is because he tends to conserve energy and ride around with everybody and do it when he has to. And now he's, uh, every single session he goes on track, he's trying to make a statement, which I think is a, a smart move for him right now and then the rest of the field i'm i'm actually doing coaching and uh, working with uh, matt skoltz and westby racing and uh, matt has made some progress here in the he, he started off strong at the first road america had a little bit of a of a downturn through the second road and into atlanta and uh here at the at the pit race here recently he's really kind of come back into it into the fold and i think they're doing a pretty good job and then of course bobby fong who's uh, the horse I've been working with for a long time. He's uh, showing a lot of heart out there. Him and the team are both new to this piece of machinery. The team is learning together, and they're doing things a bit different in the way that Tony, Elias, and the the Yoshimir boys had done in the past. And uh, Tony is... Uh, Hey, you know he's he's such an amazing rider, but he's kind of seems to be struggling with just the transition, and possibly some other things happening in life. Who knows? But uh, Bobby has kind of gone his own direction and probably a little bit more traditional direction based on his experience, and it seems to be working for him right now.
2: Yeah, that has been really, in my mind, the only surprise, if you will, of this season has been Tony Elias not being the Tony Elias that we are all very familiar with, that being a dominant, aggressive racer who isn't happy with anything but the front. Uh, It just hasn't played that way this year, and it's been an interesting part of this season. No one's, I don't think, writing him off yet. I can't imagine anyone in the pits is.
3: I, I think it would be difficult to do. I mean, Tony's a competitor, and he's probably one of the most experienced competitors we've had in, in pro racing in America, just his depth of knowledge and time that he's spent on motorcycles and series all over the world. You know, that stuff doesn't get erased overnight. But when, there are a few things that, are, that have changed in respect to Tony. Change is always difficult. Changing teams, new crew, same equipment, and the crew doesn't understand the development path of how they got to where they got to with those motorcycles when they were handed over, is always gonna be a bit of a challenge. Budgets being what they are in this day and age, the guys aren't able to test near as much as they did prior to that. So, when M4 received these machines, they received them late. They weren't running motorcycles. It took a while to get everything up and moving. And they basically got a couple of days of preseason testing before they showed up at the first race. And it's just not like it was back in the day. Things are just different. The other side of things are whenever the attack and Factory Yamaha collaboration happened. There was a very good, like the transition was very easy. They took all of the equipment out together and worked together very diligently to integrate in the strengths of both teams to just come up with a very strong package. And the Yamahas, I feel like, based on what I can see from my time being on them and watching things on track, are they have taken a huge step forward, especially in, especially in acceleration. Where Tony has, from the time he's been on the motorcycles here in the U.S., he's had an advantage on acceleration and speed to just be able to get from one corner to the next. Tony always showed up to the fight with a weapon that was probably, in some ways, the better weapon for close-quarters combat. Like Cameron Bobier and the guys on the Yamaha, Garrett Gerloff, had a broadsword, and it was very powerful, and it worked well when they could see clean racetrack and ride their own lines and do it the way they wanted to do it, they were, they were outright fast and hard to beat. But if Tony could just get into the mix for one minute with his shorter saber, he could really mess up the rhythm of the Yamaha and keep himself in the game. He could make mistakes and have the acceleration to keep himself there and could come up with his his racecraft is is you know unparalleled in our paddock and he was able to come up with amazing things and keep himself in the front in the fight. And that advantage that he had is now gone. So not only do the Yamahas able to do those fast laps, but they also accelerate as good as that bike does now. And so Tony doesn't have an advantage in any area. He's he's on par at best It makes it a lot more difficult because he's having to rewrite the way that he approaches and attacks the races also.
2: It's been interesting, for sure, an interesting season thus far. Have you got any information, I guess, as we talk about upcoming races, where we're going to the, going to the Ridge next and, uh-huh. and, and Indy? Are all events currently being marketed and promoted as fan events, or are we looking at potential fan restrictions, or are those more towards the date of the event decisions, as far as you are understanding?
3: You know, I hear it the same as everybody else uh, as we get the information from week to week. And I know that the Ridge is non-spectator event in Washington at this time. And I don't know moving forward because I know there's still a couple of weeks out and things are quick, quickly changing, you know, all over the country. And a lot of the, the races in one state are watching how we are handling the situation on TV from one to the next to make the decision of what they think is a safe atmosphere. So we have had spectator events. Pittsburgh was a spectator event. I believe Atlanta was a spectator event. And uh, the second Road America was, where they set up some extra barriers to separate the fans from getting too close to the teams. The teams are only allowed to go to pit lane when their class is on track, pit lane has been set up a bit differently so that super bikes don't all pit together. It's a super bike, a 600 program, a 1000 program, a junior cup program, then another super bike. So they've tried to spread people out, which is making it as long as we continue to follow that protocol and you see people wearing masks when they're supposed to, we have a better chance of having spectators at all the events. But I don't have any real insider information other than what gets communicated to everybody at the right time.
2: It has been interesting, as we've said, and your involvement has been uh, crucial for a couple of racers you've already mentioned, Josh. How are you finding uh, life? I, we can't call it retirement. You're clearly not retired. <laughs> you are working. You're very, uh, let's say, less than uh, ideal uh, end of your racing career. Is that a is that a friendly enough way to say it? Sure.
3: Sure, sounds great. Uh, You know, it was a changing of the times, you know what I mean? And and for me, it was pretty simple when Keith McCarty said, listen, I got four guys that are winning, and I have a three-rider team next year is what I have. It's what is going to happen. And your oldest teammate's 24 years old, and they all have a lot more racing future than they have racing past, and you have a lot more racing past than you have future at 42. So I think this is how it's got to play out. And i fought i fought the good fight as long as i could and you know i still am able in a lot of ways to do some fun things and i'm still able to be a part of motorcycle riding and i'm finding just now it took me three or four years of being out of pro racing to start to stop acting like a pro racer in some ways and start enjoying things doing some off-road riding and different things now that i wouldn't do before because everything i did i rode at like intensity factor 11 because that's how I wanted to race. I only wanted to ride a motorcycle one way. So I'm finding some things in life that are coming around and being a bit more joyful with the family and things like that. But I definitely like want to be involved in the paddock. Um, It still feels like home to me. It's been my family, like a second family for 25 years. And so being away from it's hard for me. I want to be involved. And I've got people that I'm working with like Bobby Fong, the Westby racing team, Cam Peterson, Garrett Gerloff. Like I, I feel like I have a, a, something to offer these guys just from a perspective of I've had, I experienced so much in my career. I've been there. I've done that. And I'm able to talk to these guys a little bit. I've now built rapports with them, implement ideas that I watched them execute. And I'm actually getting quite a bit out of it. Like I really enjoy when we can discuss something and I can bring something to the program. I watch them execute it and have success, it makes me feel really good that I was able to be a part of that in some small way. So though it's not the ideal situation, and I would much rather be a selfish racer. I can say, I, I, my joke is it's really difficult sometimes to help somebody else do something that I think I can do better than them in the first place. <laughs> but but it, it does have its rewards. I'm learning lessons. I'm getting better at other different things. My observational skills of watching bikes on track and recognizing things that are happening i think are getting more more keen those things i i am enjoying and i'm still around the racetrack i still feel like i play a part in being there and uh, there are a lot of other jobs and things that i feel like i could add to and want to be a part of but you can honestly like there's a lot of them are are conflicting roles and different things like that so it's difficult sometimes Mm -hmm. to figure out exactly where you fit in
1: so J- Josh, working with those riders, you went down a, a list of a bunch of really fast guys. What, as, a, as a rider coach, is it easier to take a guy like that and slow them down to get them to go faster? Or is it easier to you know, speed a guy up when you've got a racer like that?
3: It's always easier to take a fast guy and rein them in. Than it is the other way around. And I'm learning still there there are quite a few different personality and personality traits that you're finding in these people. And I communicate with all of them in very unique and different ways. With Bobby, we talked a little bit about riding and a little bit about this and a little bit of that, but more than anything, I'm 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 damn near a sports psychologist with Bobby. We talk, we talk more during the week prior to the race weekend than we do on the race weekend to just make sure that. He's not letting silly things that are honestly not the important parts of racing, but our feelings that he has getting in there, you know, what people think of him or this or that, those things get in the way of his success sometimes and we got to talk through those things and just change the record that's playing in his head between the races. A lot of the work with him is done in that way. With Garrett, it was more in the moment, like on the grid if I could say the right motivational words to Garrett on the grid and just get his focus on the right thing. He was trying to think through, they're, they're so complicated, all the settings in the motorcycles and all the input you're getting from crew chiefs and tire guys and all these things. And if I could just point him in the right direction and say, man, this is what you're looking for. This is what you got to go do. Go show the world this. If you could get him going there, his confidence was up and he rode like that. Man, he was, he was hard to touch. Cam Peterson, we will talk about a little more of the details of riding, but it's all the like the fine-tuning things. We'll just break down corners in a little bit different way. I don't have to motivate him kind of the same way as the other guys. So each of them is unique in how I talk to and deal with them. And sometimes we're talking about the motorcycles, riding, body position, little things that we can add to it just based on experience. But for the most part, I spend more of my time talking about how to manage all the information coming at you and where your focus should be on the motorcycle and what you should be worried, really worried about and what you think you should be worried about. Like that seems to be where the majority of my, the majority of my time and effort comes in because I'm speaking sometimes to the crew chiefs, sometimes to the team owners, to the mechanics and then to them and hearing their inputs and trying to help break all these things down because sometimes it's even communication with your crew what's the bike's job what's your crew's job and what's your job on the motorcycle because at the end of the day the rider is still the most adjustable thing on the motorcycle
2: interesting stuff josh and man i gotta think those guys are super stoked to have you in their corner you're not the only rider former pro racer who has found their way in the sport clearly that we've got a lot of other examples from the press booth out into the paddock there's a lot of a lot of guys that are really fast guys like yourself not all of them former motor superbike champs but a lot of really fast guys so it's good to see and i and it's i just enjoy watching the races and and the outcome of your efforts
3: well i appreciate that And like i said it's fun to watch the guys doing it it's it's been pretty interesting now with cam peterson because i've been working with cam peterson this is our third year kind of working together same as bob now i find myself where my wife is his is his crew chief (laughs) and and he's winning in stock thousand and, and leading the championship there so it's fun and it just starts getting closer and closer to home all the time having so much family involved and all these things overlap but I mean, there are so many positions and so many of my peers and friends that are now a part of everything from, from management to, like you said, in the broadcast booth. You know, Jason Pridmore and I were teammates. That guy saved my career at one point or in the middle of my career and, and kept me in racing and, and uh, was a great teammate and a, is still a good friend. And, you know, he's coaching a few guys and some of his guys I've actually had at my training camp. But he's coaching quite a few guys on the on the grid. Jake Zempke is now in rider management, as well as helping like Bobier and a few people on the grid. And then I've got Michael Martin as a rider rep, and and Thomas Stevens was the the race director. Like all these guys were were the peers, and it's hard to call Wayne Rainey a peer because that guy was far beyond me a lot earlier than me, but he at least calls me and speaks to me like a peer and we we discuss things and and it's great to to have so many people involved that have been in it for a long time that that love it and want to be a part of it and it's not honestly about the almighty dollar you know it's got to be about the love of the sport so especially in this day and age so it's fantastic to have that but you know it is a new crop of racers with a different attitude and a different way of getting there and also different prospects moving forward so Jason and I were just discussing the other day, you know, back when we were, when we started, I remember in in 1999 when I showed up at the Daytona uh, first Moto America race or AMA race of the year, there were like 27 factory and factory supported bikes in the 600 Supersport class. So we're talking 27 paid riders on the grid in that class. At that time, there were a hundred people that showed up for 80 spots on the grid that could all make the cut in qualifying. But if you had a good performance, there was up to like 10, 12, 14 teams that there were opportunities with to stay in racing and potentially make a living and move forward with to, as as jumping jumping springboards to the next level, should we say. And that's not here right now. So all of these guys have to be it's every bit as much a popularity contest as it is about results and anything else in this day and age. And you better be professional in every way, look like the All-American Boy, speak like the All-American Boy, and get results at the same time because it's pretty cutthroat right now.
2: It, it absolutely is. I'm, and we see that in the interviews that we have on this very show, Josh. I mean, the likes of uh, Damian Jagaloff is a great example. I mean, you talk to that kid, and then you, it's like you're talking to a well-educated, grown, college-age man, and he's
3: absolutely a young teenager. Yeah, Damian's pretty good to talk to. He's, You know, there's quite a few of those little guys. Jack Roach, I remember kind of feeling the same way whenever I talked to him, you know. I've got Kevin Olmedo here at the house, actually doing some training with us right now. We're spending time with Alex Dumont, all these guys, like they're really on top of it, and they really have to be if they want to make it. You know, because it's just it's not going to be an easy world for a motorcycle racer at this time.
2: Nope, it definitely is. Uh, if you dangle the carrot in front of a racer, they're going to find the way to get there. And for young kids, that means doing things that their peers don't have to do, learning how to be professional at a very young age and talk to adults in a professional manner. So I think it's a good thing, and it's just good to know there's more of them every year.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need more. We need and you're, more making, you're making your own. How's your boy doing? <laughs> the hawkster, he is um uh, he is very challenging, the terrible twos, you know? So he's uh he's a weapon on a strider. He he crashes, he tucks the front about ten times a day around the kitchen table in the house, <laughs> crashes into things, chases the dog, he's talking up a storm, he's as stubborn as his mama, I like to say. But uh no, he's he's uh it's a lot of fun, it's a challenge, it's new. I mean being 45 and having a two-year-old, it was not how I pictured life. But you know, like it's uh, after living such a selfish life for such a long time, it's been definitely a, a, a transition. But he is a lot of fun, and it's and it's so rewarding in its own ways. And uh, you know, I'm thankful that I have I, I get to live a life where I spend a lot of time with him during the day, playing in the pool, playing in the backyard on tractors, on motorcycles, and get to lay down with him for a nap, get to lay down with him and put him to bed. And I get to, to do so much and be such a part of my son's life. And I feel lucky that I've been blessed in life to get to go to some of the coolest places on earth, ride some of the coolest motorcycles on the planet and live a life where I get to be around my family and motorcycles, the things that I love.
2: Well, Josh Hayes, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on again. I hope we get to talk again regularly as you're... it just feels like you're not completely done sorting out all the things you can and want to do in the motorcycle world. So nothing's going to surprise us when you say I'm now into this and I'm going to be at the front of that. So we look forward to hearing more about it. Is there anybody you want to thank before we uh, send you on down the road?
3: Well, like I said, I'm pretty lucky. I got to live a a pretty fantastic life and I still have so many people that actually help me and support me with a lot of things like our J-Force training camp stuff. So You know Yamaha and and Dunlop and Owens are are three people that have been with us in the in the industry for a long time, and then you know a career in in uh, Arai helmets and. Tai Chi and TCX boots RS Tai Chi leathers, TCX boots. I mean, they've all supported me for so long, and helped us so much in fly racing, helping us with our training on the motocross and dirt track side of things. So I'm pretty lucky to have so many people still in my corner helping me, working with me. And I get to go do these fun things like race the classic bikes in Australia, race the Daytona 200, and potentially get to test some super bikes once in a while. So I feel lucky to be able to be a part of it all. and, And all those people help make that happen. So I'm a lucky man
2: right on well we're lucky to know you josh hayes carry on and hello to your wife and boy we will talk to you again soon
3: sounds great thanks
2: this week's pit pass trivia question was in 1902 what company in england began producing motorbikes And the answer of course is triumph motorcycles triumph the best motorcycle name ever really i mean you can't have a better one can you dave
1: i know that's uh that's a that's a major brand right there and and they they really set some standards over the years that they created a whole segment of motorcycles i think in the 60s and 70s
2: they absolutely did the scramblers the desert sleds made famous by people All over Hollywood, Steve McQueen famously raced motorcycles on the weekends, uh, oftentimes spotted on Triumphs. uh, Of course, Triumph motorcycle featured in the the bad boy motorcycle movie of all time, The Wild Ones. That's Uh, right. Was that a a Thunderbird, I think? I think it was.
1: That's what Marlon Brando made famous.
2: Absolutely, and Bud Ekins famously jumped one in the Great Escape uh, for the massive uh, border jump, border fence jump. That Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen personally hired him, as I understand the story, said no one else is going to do it. It's this guy or nobody.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people thought it was Steve McQueen and who uh, did the jump, and it wasn't. And uh, that's 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 one of those iconic movie scenes from from way back that I'll never forget.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, made you want to made me want to watch the movie because i knew that scene was coming just all the scenes with mcqueen on a motorcycle he's so cool as we all know coolest man alive or was for the time that he was alive the coolest man alive triumphs are amazing bikes i raced one i'm a big fan of the brand always have been their vintage stuff is i have a cousin who collects them and they're incredibly cool his house and now facility that he's bought are filled with 60s and 70s a lot of triumphs he's got nortons and matchless as well but a lot of triumphs and god they're beautiful bikes
1: and the common thread there is parallel twins that's my new favorite engine layout i just happened to fall in love with
2: you know they never went away ever honda famously made them a lot of them through the 70s all the other manufacturers have never really left them but they seem to be more prominent now with this enduro Big enduro craze. All everybody's midsize, if you will. Now, even though they're ginormous, the 700s, the 800s are parallel twin motors, and they are really good at that job. Narrow, light, as opposed to the the
1: grandfather of that segment, the BMW. That's you know two motors wide, if you will. <laughs> yeah, the boxer motor. But uh, yeah, honestly, with that the twins class in Moto America is is an homage to the parallel twin. Now it seems to be the dominant engine. You could almost say. There's a few V-twins that sneak in there from Suzuki, but there's quite a few parallel twin Yamahas.
2: Yep, and it's now becoming very commonplace in the flat track world as well. We are seeing the, the Yamaha, the Kawasaki had previously been out there, is also a parallel twin. Uh, so again, popular motor.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you can, you can claim uh, Triumph started it. I think they really set the world on fire, and they had the Japanese chasing them all those years with XS650s and the old uh, kawasaki parallel twin and as you said the uh, the honda parallel twins so if that engine layout i think is perfectly suited for horsepower and layout and a motorcycle and it just has a certain i don't know what the word is but the vibe to it when you ride it is just wonderful
2: upcoming in the world of racing this weekend we've got moto gp from austria again they're doing a second round as all of the teams and the equipment are on site there at the red bull ring so we look forward to another round of moto gp Hopefully, everybody who was involved in the incidents this past weekend will be up and healthy and ready to ride. Further on down the road, at the end of the month, we've got World Superbike coming up from Aragon, Spain. That's August 28th through the 30th. That very same weekend will be Moto America from the Ridge up in the Upper West Coast, 828 through the 30th. Also, going to be happening, so make sure you check out those races. What do we got in the off-road world, Dave?
1: Oh, we've got AMA Motocross returning to the ranch at Loretta Lynn's for round two. As I mentioned, it's uh, August 22nd this weekend because Washougal has been canceled, the race in Washington State. So that is their recovery plan for that, so they're still going to hopefully get in all nine rounds. Following weekend after that is the Ironman at Crawfordsville, Indiana, which will be the Technically, the third round of AMA Outdoor Motocross. We've got racing up in Canada for the Canadian National Motocross Championship in Ottawa at Sandel Lee, which is August 29th. And then we've got MXGP in Turkey, which is Sunday, September 6th.
2: Thank you again to Josh Hayes for joining us today, and thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and, of course, pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our all-new blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Howerson, Chris Bishop, our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineers Eric Coltnow and Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm PJ. And I'm Dave. We'll see you next week. Keep the rubber side down.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile,